So, hello and welcome to the Market Finance vodcast series called Taking Stock. I'm Anil Stocker. I founded Market Finance uh, back in 2011 and we deliver seamless funding solutions for ambitious business leaders uh, here in the UK uh, who work here domestically and also internationally. Um, and one thing I really enjoy about my role is the variety of business owners and entrepreneurs that I meet and hearing their journey and hearing their stories. Um, and a few years ago, we decided to bring a lot of that to life by inviting entrepreneurs uh, to our office in Shoreditch on Friday evenings for um, fireside chat and beers. And now with COVID, we've um, taken to this vodcast format to show showcase business owners, uh, the challenges they face, how they think, and the solutions they're bringing to the market and much more. So, you know, very happy to introduce today our guest, Jeffrey de Mowbray, who's the uh, founder and CEO of Dint International. Hi, Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Now, we've known each other for a good number of years now. Uh, you were an early user of market finance when we launched. Um, so it's great to catch up. Um, so why don't you just quickly give a short background on yourself and, and, and what your business does? Okay, great. So I've been running Dent since 2007. Before that, I've uh, been running my own businesses since I was 16, I think, and probably only uh, properly since I was 18 back in 2000. And it all started off because uh, I was an expat kid and my parents were living in Africa. Uh, I wasn't very good at school, wasn't really destined to go to university. Uh, so went out there to visit them and started seeing opportunities, first of all in tech and then into the business we're in now, which is very much uh, supply chain, logistics and trading. Yes, I know. So you do business in some quite exotic locations. So um, why don't you name, name a few of those African countries and what you're, what you're helping with there and who your customers are? I will do. So I guess uh, we started off in Africa. We now work in South America and have just started in Asia now. But in Africa, some of the main countries we work in are some of the more exciting countries, shall we say. Uh, so Burkina Faso, Cote d'Ivoire, Mali, Ghana, parts of DRC, which is pretty challenging, but uh, <laughs> it's good fun. Mozambique, Madagascar, uh, all over really. There's sort of 17 countries in Africa where we do work or have worked and <clears throat> although on the face of it they seem like the challenging markets and they do have their challenges in many ways I see it where there's the most opportunities because it's more of a blank canvas in many respects and what we really do is uh, or what we have done is focused on supplying international companies working in those territories who really struggle with sourcing their goods so we source from Europe US and Asia and we supply into primarily mines and construction companies and other heavy industries in uh, mainly Sub-Saharan Africa, South America and Asia. And I think the form to our model is very much product based. So while we focused on those industries, our view uh, is that um, the, the, the way we operate can be replicated across industries and moving into other things in the future. So yeah, it's quite, a, it's quite exciting. Uh, you get to travel lots, well, not right now, but in general you get to travel lots and definitely uh, keeps you on your, uh, on your toes. So what, how do you go about getting a customer in Burkina Faso? Just talk me through that. You know, do you email people and say, hey, I, I can help you? Or do you get intros from, from people you know in the, on the ground? How does that work? I think 
I mean, a lot of it, it all certainly all started uh, with FaceTime. You know, there's nothing, it's the same as if someone was trying to sell to you from China in England. That you're, you're much more likely to buy off them if they're in front of you rather than just emailing you from China or wherever. So FaceTime is important. I think when we started, when we and I started out, it was more important. I think as time goes on, uh, word of mouth is obviously key. You do a good job. It's uh, despite being a vast geographical area we work in, it's quite a tight knit community. So you do things well and, and you get good referrals. Um, we do do some, we do very little cold calling, to be honest. Um, there's normally referrals or, or sort of strategic introductions. Um, but we are blessed in that we kind of got 20 years of having built up the contact base though. But, but strangely enough, when you do cold call people, if you get them at the right time, and you know what you're doing, uh, and, and they've got a problem, then, then they're more than willing to try you out. Yeah, and who's been your kind of a really good customer for you, and what have you been delivering for them? Um, so it's primarily focused on parts for heavy machinery, because that's what a lot of our minds are operating in, and that's you know all of the big yellow toys that you see on megastructures or even by the side of the road in UK. But the ones in the UK are pretty small compared to those, to give you an idea. Some of the trucks we work with are a six foot, so I'm six foot and I can stand inside the rim. Uh, so these are kind of like uh, mega trucks and sort of the tires each are 25 grand. And, you know, it's, it's all big for me as a kind of grew up near a farm. It's, it's big boys toys, you know. So it's uh, and I think part of the spirit of also why we got into this. The reason I was in Africa is my mum was in the UN and I saw this. She was doing some great work in the development world, but equally I saw the challenges that the development world had. So our rationale is using business as a tool for development, and we've still got a long way to go on that, but that's at our core. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we picked mining, because it's the source of many of these countries' wealth, uh, but it's, it's not always distributed in the right way. So rather than sort of standing on the sidelines, we decided to... Uh, embed ourselves in it, understand it, and understand how we can change things from the inside out. Yeah, absolutely. It must be exciting to be helping to generate income in a poorer country and seeing that you know seeing that flow through to the to the local to the local markets. Albeit, you know, you're not in control exactly what gets done with with um, the output, but you know, if you're you're helping to you're helping a developing country with their with their growth prospects on some level. So that must be yeah, quite motivating. I think, to be honest, the well, the what we're aiming—that is very much what we're aiming to do. The last twenty years, pretty much, has been our learning phase. It's been a long one, but um, I really think this—the the great things we're going to do in that arena are going to—is what's coming next. So, yeah, the intent is there. We're doing little bits and pieces, but I think really in the next three years, we're going to start seeing some of that really come to life. Okay, and just give a sense of kind of the business pre pre COVID, um, in the sense of how many people are you based in London, and and kind of what do what does everyone do roughly? Like, do you have more you know more salespeople or how does that work? Sure. So we're London headquartered. Um, we're not a big team. We've managed to drive huge efficiencies in terms of revenue per capita, which is great. Um, so we're a team of. I forget, which is, but it's not huge. It's like 12 or something. Yeah. Uh, and we're primarily in London and UK based. We have one person in Belgium, one person based in Chile all the time, uh, but the rest of us are UK based. And 
in broad terms, uh, we have a small sales team. I still do a lot of the sales side because I love doing it. Uh, we've got our head of business development, Andy, uh, who's equally a fearless traveler and loves going into some of the places that we operate in. Our COO, Damien, who's based in Belgium, who's worked for big corporates uh, in the past and, and is now bringing his knowledge into our business. Uh, Jeanette, who's head of our financial solutions, who's an ex-banker. Uh, and then the ops team, who are mainly focused on doing all the quotations, doing all the shipping, uh, etc. And then in Chile, we have Fernando, who is our country manager down in, in Chile, on the back of us winning some fairly major contracts down there last year. Yeah, yeah. So you have a local guy there just to make sure that that goes well. Um, yeah. Okay, so you're a global business. You're on planes. You're going to African countries. You're going to Chile. Um, and then COVID hits in March. Uh, what, what, what happened then? What, what was the immediate <laughs> reaction of your business that, well, when that happened? We actually um, took action a little earlier than a lot because we're set up to work quite well remotely. We shut our office in London a couple of weeks before the lockdown came and we all moved to remote working, which um, wasn't too much of a stress, to be honest. I think one of the challenges was we were actually hiring someone new. And it's the first time we've ever trained anyone remotely. But uh, the guys were saying, oh, it's going to be tricky. But I actually think it's driven a good discipline to get everything a little bit more structured. But from a business perspective, it was interesting because we generally didn't know what was going to happen. Because a lot of our suppliers are regarded as core industries in the US, so they haven't been locked down. So our supply chain has been quite lucky. Yes. From a client perspective, if you look at mining, I think most of our clients are either gold, copper, uh, there's some cobalt, some diamond miners, but mainly gold and copper. And with gold, with the exception, exception of a, a slight blip, the gold price has skyrocketed in the last couple of, uh, couple of weeks. Um, but the biggest challenge they're finding is actually selling their gold um, because some of the smelters have shut down. And the biggest overall challenge we've found is the huge strain on air freight capacity at the moment because of all of the protective PPE being flown around the world, because of the reduction in passenger numbers, there's uh, huge pressures on that. And we're lucky we had contract rates with our providers because the, the prices have just gone sky high. But we've had a couple of shipments that have been lost that we've had to claim under insurance for. You know, there's just been nothing that's, uh, everything's recoverable from, but it's just extra, extra work in that regard. And that, that's because when you deliver your products, you do you put them on air freight or, or on ships or how does that work? How do you just... So it's a combination, both? it's a combination of both, but I guess the, the ports also have had a big backlog at the moment because a lot of the ports have been shut. Uh, and particularly when you're dealing with landlocked countries, air freight is really the only way to get it in a reasonable amount of time. Plus everything's just become that bit more urgent, but um, there is a lot of air freight, but we've switched to using more DHL and more couriers where we do have pre-agreed rates. But yeah, prices have gone up, delivery times have gone down a little bit. Um, so there have been some pressures there. But I think one of the most interesting um, changes we see is we did, you know, we weren't sure, and still not, I guess, what was going to happen in terms of demand from our customers. And we did see requests from our clients dropping off quite a bit. Um, but uh, they, they seem to be picking up again now. I think there's that initial shock of everyone's like, whoa, what do we do? Yeah. Um, um, but interestingly enough, for the month of April, our customers all came to us and said, 
can you supply us with medical supplies? Wow. Um, mainly because if you think these guys are operating sometimes 3,000 people on a site, if, if COVID gets into those sites and spreads, their whole operations will shut down other than the uh, health challenges. And in a lot of these countries, there aren't definitely not sufficient ventilators, definitely not sufficient hospitals. So it's, it's uh, really challenging. Touch wood, the numbers in most of the countries we deal with are still quite low. Um, but yeah, so a lot of them came on to us looking for, you know, uh, all manner of things to assist them. And one of the most interesting areas was um, the antibody test kits, which have had a lot of press in the UK, uh, both negative and positive. And from what I understand from a few, there's some political agendas out there and that the UK would like to develop their own rather than buying from elsewhere. But there was a, um, there was a flood of them being supplied into Africa. And we, uh, we found a really good uh, partner in the UK who are doing great testing. They've got a good product. And yeah, Minds have been buying those. So that helped bolster some of our lost revenue for the first month uh, and help with some of the revenue. And what's really interesting is we've actually had customers who we've been trying to get into for a while uh, and haven't managed to, who we're now on their vendor list. They're now buying these off and it's going to give us a potential to bring it back to our core business later on, which is really exciting. Um, and I think knowing, you know, so we've developed this, de delivered these in, clients are very happy with them. They're good quality. And, but business does seem to be, normal business does seem to be picking up again now. And in some respects, it's easier to negotiate contracts because we've got a really good, finance and credit team and a lot of our work's done on open account um, and some of the requirements that we might have asked for before clients might have gone oh well we're not being asked for that but because there is a general credit crunch around the uh, around at the moment clients are more willing to give up what they wouldn't do before so we're working on a big contract this week that uh, hopefully we're going to close this week and the client is just like yep yep whatever you need so it's in in that way it's quite uh, quite interesting Okay, so, so you're getting better, you're actually being able to negotiate better terms in terms of payments up front because they empathize a little bit well, with you? It's partly that. I think we are getting more payments, particularly on these test kits. We got all advanced payments, which was great. Great for cash flow, really helpful. But I think a lot of business in general, they are even pushing for longer credit terms. But some of the risk mitigants that we have in place, whether it be our credit insurers or other financiers we work with, um they have some pretty strict requirements and some of the territories as you know we operate in are a little more dicey so we've managed to get some cross guarantees from countries to externalize the risk and get some more corporate guarantees which has shored it up so we've yeah we've managed to get some risk mitigants that we wouldn't have got otherwise because they are desperate and they require credit to do it they can't pay everything up front yeah that's really interesting just to listen to what you've been saying around how you pivoted the business during COVID, and it sounds like that was quite opportunistic, right? You, this wasn't part of your plan uh, in 2020. It wasn't part of our plan, but equally, it's something we've been procrastinating about doing for a while. So it's been, we wanted to broaden our base, et cetera, et cetera, but it's just like, oh yeah, you know, we'll do some planning and we'll get there. Whereas this has forced us to do it, so it's kind of broken yes. that glass ceiling. And yes. that, is one of, that is one of the other key areas we're using this time for, and that is, really looking at our business and going right we've talked about doing all of this stuff for a long time let's actually plan it and get on with it because we've got a bit more time to do that now yes i was i was talking to another entrepreneur last week and she said you know nothing like a pandemic to change your business strategy or to accelerate <laughs> your 
business strategy. And, and I've also seen it here in, in, in our company, market finance, as like things that were, would have taken us months can be suddenly are being done in weeks um, because there's such a, you know, imperative to get it done fast. So um, that's, that's pretty interesting, right? That you can kind yeah, of, yeah. all of it, you can kind of make your business really agile and fast, almost like a startup again. That no, is great. And it's, it's exciting as well. It kind of puts the, puts the beat back in things as well. And how are the team doing? Did you keep everyone on board? You didn't, did you do the furlough scheme for your staff members or not? No, we're, we're lucky we haven't had to furlough anyone. And I think equally, we couldn't really have furloughed anyone because we're such a small team. Everyone's so integral. And yes. as I mentioned earlier, we've actually taken on, we've taken on another full-time employee and a couple of part-timers. Um, uh, not, not because we're not because we're so busy but it just is the best time to train people and bring them up to speed and we feel sufficiently confident that um we're yeah we have the funds to do that so uh it's good i think i didn't we don't want to make any knee-jerk reactions you know some of our suppliers for example bigger companies who have furloughed a load of people uh and they're like actually business hasn't dropped off there were sort of guys just looking at ticking boxes so i think it's look i really my Girlfriend is an employment lawyer and runs an HR business. So she's, for all the wrong reasons, incredibly busy right now. And when you look at the uh, leisure and tourism businesses, it is horrible what's going on there. And, um, but equally, if you can take a step past that, I do almost believe whether it's existing businesses revisiting their business plans or people looking at what industry to go in, those industries will change. And in some ways, it's a great opportunity to now to look at what those opportunities will be going forward when we reach the new normal. Absolutely. I think we're not going to go back to the old world. We're going to land in a different place. So there's a Indeed. lot of opportunity, uh, things that haven't been done before, um, for sure. Um, and, and in terms of like running your business with, with cash flow and stuff like that, I mean, you, you're, profitable, you're a profitable business, right? We are a profitable business. Uh, we've never taken any external equity funding. Uh, yep. We have used debt and have used invoice finance. We've, we look, as with all businesses, we've had some pretty tough years and some yep. years where everything's gone wrong and it's, you know, it feels like the world's falling in around you a little bit, but you just keep on fighting. And the last year particularly, we've had, an, a, put it this way, if this crisis hit a year ago, we would probably be in a really, really tricky spot right now. But in the last year, we've um, made some really good profits, really cut our cost base right back. Um, and as a result, have, have a few resources. We are putting in contingency plans of funding for if people don't pay us on time uh, or, you know, if our business does drop off, because that's still a risk. We don't know. It's looking good, but we don't know. So we are planning for that. But equally, we're planning on getting the finance in place if we do see a huge surge in orders, because that's almost as much of a challenge as not having any business for, for a business like ours. So, um, yeah, we are profitable, which is helpful. Um, and yeah, we've actually applied for some of the innovation grants that are coming out at the moment through Innovate UK, which I highly recommend anyone should look at because it's, it yeah. is a great time to innovate. Yeah, absolutely. What about the C-Bills loan from your bank? Did you, have you thought about that? The C-Bills, we have put in an application for that, um, mainly as a precautionary measure. Uh, we're not sort of desperate on that. I think the rules are kind of changing all the time. Um, in my other guys, as 
co-chair of Bex, uh, British Exporters Association, we wrote to the Chancellor in the last week or so, and it's really great news to hear that particularly on the micro side, he's doing 100% guarantees. Yes. Um, and let's, let's see what happens. Um, but yeah, we are putting in an application um, uh, because our worst case scenario, we are going to have cash flow problems in July in our worst yeah. case scenario. In our best case scenario, uh, we'll be absolutely fine. So it's, it's just planning for, for the eventualities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's worth looking into these schemes because as you say, many people don't know. And I think the innovation ones, that's interesting. That's on Innovate UK website. Yeah. And that's, that's, uh, for, that's for R&D and, and research and new projects, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And I think it's a great, it's a great time to be looking at that stuff, you know? Um, and I think also where you do have furloughed workers as well, it's a great time for them to do training because as I understand it, uh, furloughed workers aren't allowed to work, but they're still allowed to train. So it's, it's a good time to, to look at these kind of things. Okay, cool. Tell us a little bit, you know, to finish off, um, Tell us a little bit about the British Exports Associate, British Exporters Association, and your involvement there. You're co-chair of this association. So, what do you what do you do, and what kind of businesses do you have in the association? Okay, so Bexa, as it's known, has been around for eighty years. Um, it is it has it's a relatively small member base in terms of numbers of companies, but uh, in terms of UK exports, fairly large. So we have uh, the multinationals down to SMEs and their service providers to so the banks and others. And historically, its main role has been to work with UK Export Finance, uh, Department, of, D Department for International Trade, to uh, ensure exporters get what they need in terms of funding uh, to, to win export contracts. Most recently, and not least because of Brexit, has widened its focus to cover DIT as a whole and other areas of government. But in summary, its purpose is to lobby government on the behalf of the exporting community to get British exporters what they need to do more business abroad. And there's been a lot of talk about this for a long time now. The yes. first driver to get everyone doing more stuff uh, was Brexit, whether you like it or hate it, or the idea or hasn't been much in the news recently for obvious reasons. But one thing, one positive that definitely has come out of it is a renewed focus on international trade. And, you know, my belief is um, for the UK to come out of what we're doing now, uh, of the current challenges we face now, is we are going to make some great innovations and we are going to be driven to export again and, and engage around the world. So exporting is, is key and BEX is something, it's, it's a voluntary position. We're all volunteers with the exception of um, a couple in the Secretariat. Uh, and we all work in either exporting businesses or Secretariats and the spirit is, do something of value that furthers our businesses, but in doing so furthers uh, the opportunities for everyone else in the exporting community. So what kind of, you have exporters from lots of different sectors. It's, it's not just. Yeah, I'd say there's, I mean, uh, aerospace, construction, healthcare. Uh, I, it, it, we do need to broaden our depth into some of the other sectors, particularly the service sectors. Um, yes. So a lot of banking, a lot of finance, not enough fintech, not enough tech, uh, not enough creatives, but yeah, sort of what would typically have been the old school exporting. So um, my role as co-chairman for SMEs and micro exporters is, uh, my co-chairman Marcus is from Rolls-Royce um, yeah. and he looks after large exporters. Part of my drive here, and it's a slow burn, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, is to bring uh, more diversification of industries and more more fresh thinking and new blood in, and, and, and energy into it. Yeah, 
Excellent. So uh, uh, I guess there's a website people go and can join. And it is bexa.co.uk. Excellent. Great. Look, really interesting. So um, I, I guess on a, on a more uh, personal level, when you finish, well, when this lockdown ends, ends, we hope quite soon, let's see. What's the first country you're going to go and visit then for, for work? Is there a country that you have to go and visit long overdue? Uh, uh, for work, uh, the only thing I've got booked at the moment is Chile, which I moved from last week until November. I'm sure I'll be going somewhere sooner, but my biggest fear is a lot of the world's still going to be on lockdown. I mean, I was meant to be in holiday in Argentina, and I see that in August, I see they're going to shut down till September. So I generally, I generally don't know. And I, I do think I will, look, let's face it, my carbon footprint wasn't the smallest. And I do think that this is going to make me think twice about whether you need to jump on a plane for a meeting for a couple of days. Um, yes. You know, so, yes. but, but from a, I'd, I'd love to go Personally, I'd love to go somewhere sunny with a beach. And we've had lovely weather here. But uh, yeah, I just, it's, I've actually been working harder, I think, than normally. And it's, um, I'm lucky I live in the countryside, so we've got a garden. But um, yes. yeah, I think somewhere sunny with a beach. And if it was for work, probably, uh, I'd say probably Ghana. <laughs> okay, okay. And the vis finally, your vision for the company. So you're going to, are you going to continue to do healthcare products as well? Or... Um, what do you, what, what do you, what's your next five year plan roughly? So that's, we're spending a lot of time on it at the moment, but you know, the vision has always been, uh, how to democratize and digitize trade. Yeah. That's the, and that's cross sector, make it accessible to all give transparency, get the, um, you know, be able to track the environmental impact of your whole supply chain. And the great news is compared to 20 years ago, there's, so many companies that are looking at parts of this because it's entirely unrealistic to try and solve that yourself. It's huge. And you know, market finance is a fantastic example of one of those in, 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 in your finance space. So I think our vision going forward is how to leverage our experience and partner with multiple companies to be able to create that ecosystem to enable, you know, Fred in Burkina Faso to trade with, john or jane in manchester seamlessly and that's from finding the transaction executing it everyone getting paid when they want to get paid relevant giving relevant risk profiles to financiers and there's so much stuff out there now it just kind of needs stitching together a little bit so um how we get there is still work in progress but that's where we're aiming to get excellent thank you great that's um that's a really was really interesting to talk to you jeff and uh, good luck with it all and uh, see you on the other side of COVID in, in reality, I hope. Thanks, Neil. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much.